Welcome to Stand Up and Clown, the podcast. I'm your host, Chad Demiani. And first off, thank you so much for listening. Uh, I've been really excited about the response I've been getting for these solo pods. It means a lot to me. For those of you who are listening for the first time, Stand Up and Clown the Pod is inspired by Stand Up and Clown the Show. We do have a show on the date that I'm dropping this episode, July 31st, 9.30 p.m. at the Elysian Theater. I love doing this show. We have an amazing cast tonight. Chris Fleming, Roz Hernandez, Aparna, Jonah Ray, um, a bunch of other great comics who will be trying Clown for the very first time under my ruthless direction. It's really fun. There are tickets available. If you go to the episode notes, you will see a link. We would love to have you. Uh, But right now, I want to focus on a question I received. So I should do all this. Of course, if you're listening to this podcast, subscribe, rate, review. It really does help. But also, you can reach out to me on Instagram at the Chad Demiani. You can ask any questions, make any comments. I love hearing feedback, what you think, connecting with people from all over. I'm, I can't tell you how excited I am in the last few weeks. I've had more and more people coming up to me because I've been traveling and teaching who listen. It's really exciting that people want to talk about this work. Mostly on Instagram, if I'm being completely honest, it's just been kind words. I love it. makes my day. But I did receive a couple questions last week. One stood out from Rachel from Michigan. This is take two. I originally called her Rachel from Michigan, which would have like been like a hot button, I guess, question. Uh, so the question is, and I'll just read it. Been listening to the pod and hearing you talk about the, quote, modern alternative L.A. clown scene, unquote, a lot. I feel like I get bits and pieces, but would love a more detailed description. What makes it different besides being a larger metropolitan community? Also, if it is really that different, why not call it something else so it would be less confusing? This is a completely fair question, and truth be told, I do feel like we kind of dance in and out of the answers to, I think these are two separate questions, and I should mention, I'm only going to cover half of it in this solo pod. I'm going to talk about what I think defines the L.A. comedy scene, or as it's been called, the modern alternative L.A. clown scene. Um, but first, a few caveats. Um, first and foremost, I do feel that I have been a major contributor to the modern alternative L.A. clown scene, as it is known. But as much as I would like it to be true, I do not speak for all clowns. I just want to make that clear. So there's a lot of work happening outside of my circle, artists working very hard on their interpretation of clown or clown-related work. Um, A lot of it might be drawing big crowds, crushing it, and I'm just unaware. So what I'm going to speak about is the movement that I have specifically been a part of for the last, I guess, 12 or 13 years. Also, this is just a few pet peeves of mine, nothing against Rachel, who is amazing, but I absolutely, let me say, I absolutely understand the use of the word alternative uh, when talking about uh, modern clown work. Um, But when I hear that, that, I think of it from like my LA perspective, which is 
clown is generally a subculture of general entertainment. We are certainly an alternative to something like traditional stand-up that's doing way more shows, making way more money, finding ways to monetize itself on streaming services with specials. It's a codified product. That's the norm. Um, also, I think for clowns in general to be called alternative, it's nice because we actively subvert norms, institutions. We are an alternative to the powers that be and the way things are. But I'm not sure what we're doing is an alternative to clown work um, or just an evolution of it. That'll be something we discuss more in part two. Um, and also we'll be discussing this more. Also, boy, this term modern or contemporary, which kind of posits one that, again, like alternative, there is a baseline or a tradition that exists that is the standard. I don't know if I agree with that. But also... There's a short-sightedness to that kind of speech. I mean, how long can something be new? Uh, the art scene has really seen this happen because you sort of... There's modern art, and then there's, you know, contemporary dance, and then it, something else comes along, and then it becomes postmodern, which I'm pretty sure is the future. Like, if you're postmodern, I think that's happening two days from now. So I like current... That's a great way to call the clown scene. Uh, I think music, when they say popular music, it's just what's happening right now. Um, but I hope as an art form, clown just continues to grow and change. Um, again, to be continued for the second installment of this answer in my next solo pod. And also, admittedly, I use modern as shorthand, so I'm a bit of a hypocrite. So let's talk about what is the current L.A. clown scene. How does it differ from what standard we have of what clown is? And let's just think like circus clowns for now. I think that is relatively what your relatives think about. Like when you're talking about clown, they're either thinking of the circus or they're thinking of, you know, sumbo, somebody with a windowless van who's going to abduct their children. It's one or the other. So let's pick the more positive one. So what differentiates us from what the general public thinks of clown work. I would say, first and foremost, if we talk about just the general aesthetic, um, what we look like, and this goes a lot of different directions. On one end, L.A. Clown is really stripped down. You know, you won't find a ton of red nose. You know, we don't use a lot of those, like, traditional colorful costumes right now for a lot of my shows where I'm doing live direct formats it's always just a black tank top and jeans and I do want to sort of take advantage of the clown psychology of having little nods in my appearance that speak to silliness and joy for me it's often just that I have a whistle or I always carry around these two bright flashlights that I flash in people's faces I might throw a hat or a scarf. I have fingerless gloves, that kind of stuff. But it's all very much, I could exist in normal society. I could walk around and not draw any attention. And then there's like a step below that. Um, there was a group I've talked about a number of times on this podcast called The Merge. 
And what we did for that group, or what John Gilkey, the director, wanted, was just to make things slightly off. So maybe it's your uh, it's your color colors, you know, like you're mixing colors that don't normally go together or patterns or your shirt or your shirt's a little too tight, shorts are a little too small, socks a little too high. Maybe you're throwing a couple vintage items just so you feel misplaced. Um, The idea with a lot of L.A. Clown, not all L.A. Clown, but a lot of it is that we do not have these really pronounced clown alter egos. We play into the absurd about who we truly are. We present like someone you might see just on the street with just some slight differentiation or the fact that there is none, that you look so normal that your behavior becomes the absurd thing. But then on the other side of the spectrum, and I'm really fortunate to get to do both, we do love makeup and costuming. It just doesn't fall into the traditional circus clown look. Like me personally, I use a lot of black eyes and bruises. I have a bit where I have a full body sunburn that takes forever to put on and takes roughly conservatively a week to get off. It gets on everything, so I don't do it very often. When I'm playing Father Bone, who is the live director of Clown Zoo, I paint my beard white. I'll darken my eyebrows. I'll thicken my eyebrows. You'll see a lot of uh, drag in clown in Los Angeles, mostly masculine. We don't have a lot of uh, male or male-identifying improvisers necessarily presenting feminine, just that's just what's going on right now. So I would say like it feels less like the circus and more like high-end Halloween. There's a lot of joy and silliness and fun in these costumes, but they don't read as like part of a tradition. In terms of red noses... I said it earlier, there aren't a ton of them. Um, There are definitely people training in Red Nose. And like I said earlier, there are shows that go on that I just am not attending where that work is, is present and prevalent. In the LA community that we talk about here on this podcast, someone wearing a Red Nose often is an act of subversion against traditional clown. Like the, the fact that it is on is part of the costuming of taking the idea of a clown and subverting that, as opposed to just being how you present in a show. Another thing that is a super influential element of what we're doing here is absolutely overseas fringe festivals. Um, And I'd argue that it's a chicken and egg scenario in that L.A. clowns have shifted the culture as much as being inspired by clowns from all over the world trying crazy things at places like Edinburgh. Very early on in this scene, someone who was influential was a clown who goes by the name Dr. Brown, a.k.a. Phil Burgers. He's still out there doing work. He'll be at Edinburgh in August. He's been traveling around doing shows. He was definitely a big part of the current renaissance of clown. At one point, maybe just under 10 years ago, he was running the Lyric Hyperion, which is now under new ownership. He was pumping out a lot of clown content. He had just come off several really good years overseas at fringe festivals. He had also had um, these video shorts that appeared on British television. You know, um, he had had a Netflix special or 
he had a, an installment of of his work that was part of something I don't remember the name of it, but it was um like something that called the experts or it was a number of like alternative comedians given specials where they had more room to breathe. And for sure, as much as he had been inspired by European clown, he had trained with Gallier. When he went to Edinburgh, he was bringing a much more primal and absurd energy that helped shift that scene in general and was involved in directing some clowns who shifted it even more. So we are inspired by stuff happening overseas and simultaneously inspiring. This is something that gets talked about quite a bit, which is 100% most of our material is geared for adults. Um, we play with sexuality. There's a good amount of nudity, not in all the shows. And there's like a naughtiness to it all. But I'd argue when it's done right, it's also extremely playful. It explores vulnerability and power dynamics. Like any good clown work, at its base, there's a naivete. It's almost like children exploring marriage. You know, they kind of understand that sexuality exists, but they don't understand the nuance of it. And that's not to say that at times it's not arousing. I mean, it's Los Angeles. You have beautiful people in various states of undress, being bold and free. But again, when it's done right, and it not, it, it's not always done right, just like any other art form, the arousal is a byproduct of the greater goal, which is to subvert and keep the audience off balance. So you present something that's titillating or interesting or feels naughty, and that's a way to flip the switch. So you can move on to being silly or grotesque. You are shining a light on how it's all very absurd. All these puritanical ideas surrounding sex in our bodies. This is a challenging thing. And I think in general, whenever you're playing with adult themes, you know, you have some artists who are just better at walking that line than others. Um, when it's done right, it is exhilarating. And you really do feel like you're seeing something that only can be provided by live entertainment. Like this is a connection with an artist who is really bearing themselves and using that to propel you through a series of emotions. Um, and when it's done poorly, sometimes it's uncomfortable to watch or we lose the narrative of why we're there in the first place is to have this joyful experience. Collaboration, I think, is one of the biggest differences um, with L.A. Clown and some other communities, and I'm not talking about between ensembles, but with audiences. And this is for better or for worse, just like everything else, I guess, in art. But we definitely explore different ways for an audience to be involved in our shows. How can we use the audience? How can we bring them on stage? What's the line? Can we get them into a place where they're nervous and we're, we're pushing them past what just a question and answer thing is or just holding something from us. They actually become part of the tapestry of the show. And I got to tell you, this is one of the hardest things to teach, one of the hardest things to help baby clowns figure out. Because a lot of times I think when we do this and the people who are very good at it, 
can seemingly get audience members to do almost anything, a lot of people just see the product of that. They see audience members in funny outfits or on stage playing roles or you know, being part of detailed choreographies, and they don't understand all the safeguards and all the things that the clown is doing, not only to protect the show itself so that an audience member doesn't take it over, because certainly the more power you give any single audience member, the more the show can go a lot of directions, but also to protect that person, to make sure there's comfortable ways for that person to exit the scene or that they don't feel compelled in a way where they're, we want them kind of to worry a little bit, I guess. We want them to like go a little past where they normally would. We don't want them to go past their boundaries. And in doing that, you have to design these interactions in a way that it feels as if we're just on the line of true risk and danger, but in fact, we know exactly what to do if things go south or sideways. Um, but yeah, I think we are definitely interested in that immersive element of clown. And you, you see it a lot in all the shows that we do out here. It, I think it's pretty uncommon for clown, or at least the scene I'm in, for the clowns on stage not to be thinking a lot about how that individual audience will be involved. Devising. This is another part of the L.A. clown scene. And I know from traveling a bunch and talking to a bunch of clowns, it is not as common in some other markets, but we love opening up that process and devising in front of an audience. And this, to Rachel's point, is what's great about being in a major metropolitan area because we do have access not only to larger audiences, but we have access to more artists who are interested in how the sausage is made. We put stuff up very early, much earlier than, say, a traditional circus show would show work or something in Las Vegas would show work or um, like a clown troupe that sees itself more as a theatrical company who builds acts and then puts on finished products. We put stuff up incredibly early. We build acts with the audience. I think this is one of the best parts of the L.A. clown scene because we are embracing failure in a way that I don't think the traditional model allows you to. We're really going out there in a way that we are exposed and we're inviting audiences to live in the shit with us, to be there. That's the appeal for them to see things that are sloppy in a personal way and for us to commend them on their help in building something. You know, a lot in a lot of ways, it's like the non-evil version of blockchain. If you guys know anything about NFTs or crypto, this idea of, you know, building a community around a product that you're going to build and you're getting all this feedback and input from the community, we're doing that. You know, we're doing our research and development with the audience. Having said that, and you might notice a theme in all of my answers, there are times when this devising process, it isn't presented. How do I say this? You definitely have clowns out there looking for something, but they don't understand that while it is not a show, that they do have some obligation whenever an audience is present. Whenever an audience is present, they have some obligation to 
take care of that audience. So you can do one of these devising processes, and maybe you're working on a show for Edinburgh, or you're working on a show for Hollywood Fringe, and you can bring a lot of bad ideas, but in doing so, you have to get behind them. You can't just present bad stuff and shrug your shoulders, or even worse, come with nothing. These audiences are not agreeing to come and watch you essentially just improvise for an hour with nothing, unless that's the, that's the way you've promoted it. There is an expectation that you are going to be throwing shit at the wall and that you have these really dumb ideas you want to test. And then in the process of testing them, you are present with the audience. You are getting their feedback. There's a joy in them disliking. There's a joy when something's discovered together. Um, but this process of devising is definitely something that is, I'll tell you, we're just coming off people preparing for Edinburgh. Um, and a lot of people are heading over at the time this podcast is being released. And I mean, every night you could have went and watched three or four different works in progress. And I think it's really a wonderful part of the community. Um, during June and July, it is an overwhelming part too. There's so many shows, so many half-finished things. And I also like finished stuff. Let me say, I would be heartbroken if the LA clown scene was only defined by things in process and not things that are completed and fixed. And, and I, I try to find the balance myself as an artist of going out there and testing stuff and being experimental and making that a fun experience for the audience, but also showing them completed work as much as possible. So the last thing I think with LA that is specific to us is we have really embraced what I think are the most positive elements of improv culture. That might surprise you since one of like my running games is just shitting all over traditional law form improv. I mean, it's just something I love to do. I've said it before. I went through UCB. I went through IO West. You know, I took classes with Miles Stroth. I've studied with masters. I began my journey in clown doing improvised clown with uh, Juzo Yoshida as Jetso. I did almost 600 shows. Like I actually have quite a fondness for improv. Also, I can see its many glaring weaknesses and problems. Um, and embracing that improv culture is kind of part of a bigger picture, which is, as we said earlier, clown is subverting systems and looking for things to challenge. And one of the things that, because we're in LA, we clap back against a lot, is the institution of comedy and entertainment in general. So, you know, we can get away with, you know, lampooning or finding pleasure subverting like a groundling style character, like an over-the-top character or, you know, premise-based UCB improvisation. When we do stand-up, right now I'm doing a character that's really taking on like club comics, or we might make fun of alt music in Silver Lake, or there's a huge Hollywood acting culture out here of people who are always putting up showcases and taking classes. So this is kind of baked into our work because this is the world that we are reflecting. But to be honest, you know, whenever you subvert things, you absorb them too. So in the process of kind of 
taking the piss out of all the things I just said, we're also like stealing from them. <laughs> we are taking the best parts and making their own, uh, making them our own, excuse me. Um, for me personally, getting to where we are now, where there's so much great clown and also a lot of bad clown in Los Angeles has really been about taking the existing improv community, sketch communities, the comedy community in general of people who want to be famous and people who are students and people who just want to get out and try different things. And maybe in a place like Los Angeles or California, they're more readily willing to just be on stage and do fun stuff because that's the community they exist in. But starting Jetso at that time when we didn't even use the word clown very much and it was very much an underground thing, the first thing I did was invade those spaces. Like it wasn't just building an act where I borrowed from improv or used tenants of improv mixed with clown, but it was about going to those shows and taking my, whether it be an eight or 10 or 15 or 20 minute slot and, you know, performing alongside improvisers, like breaking their form and challenging their ideas right in front of them, right in front of them, you know, and also doing it in a joyful gleeful way where like there was clearly love involved or I hope that's at least what people took from it um so it started there it started with going to established spaces that were providing different types of entertainment mostly improv or sketch and then it became about you know also creating this audience that goes to see devised work which was happening and kind of mixing them together and saying to them, what if we improvise clown work and you support that process itself as an art form? And for those of you who know anything about improv history, this is something that I think in the late 70s or early 80s improvisation, they kind of found themselves at the same fork in the road where places like Second City, Chicago were using improv and improv games to generate material for reviews and for these shows that they would put up that were fully finished. And so they were definitely showing off work and trying things in front of audiences, but it was all with the intention of having a finished product. And people like Del Close, who was also extremely problematic, I should mention, were like, no, this process is interesting enough. And it was kind of that split. And I think we're doing that for clown right now. We are presenting clown and we're improvising it. A ton of the things I do are improvised. And I absolutely at times introduce other elements like preparation, like have a bunch of things ready, knowing that I'm going to improvise all the ligature and connections or coming to places in costume or just providing musicians, doing anything I can to elevate the end product. So for me, like, it's funny because there's this thing that, um, that one of the UCB four would say all the time. And I would always rail against it, which was like the best improv show would be one where the audience doesn't know that it's all being improvised. They think it's a sketch show. And for a long time I was like, well, no, because that means you're not taking full advantage of the moment. I was thinking in that clown way of like, 
an audience just feels like they're watching a scripted show, they could go see a much better scripted show. An audience should absolutely feel in the moment of an improvised show that their reactions and that their the space itself is kind of pushing the show in unexpected directions and that the performers are at a greater level of risk because anything can happen and they have to make big choices. And as I push deeper into doing stuff like stand-up and clown or the clowns who present shows, which are also improvised live direct formats, or my silent clown sets that I do where essentially I take 30 minutes, I work with a series of artists, many of which I've never even met. And with the help of a musician, we improvise a show with the audience in silence, I mean, with music, um, for 30 minutes. Like, I definitely think a good chunk of what I used to feel is true, which is I want these audiences to for sure understand this risk factor, but I've also kind of embraced the idea that I want this audience to feel like they are at a show. They're not at a show where people just showed up five minutes before and ran on stage and had nothing. Like, I want to really muddy that line so that there are times in those shows where they feel like, oh, you all must have worked on that, or, oh, you guys snuck in a completely fixed choreographed bit into this chaotic improvised format. So it's so interesting that like when you hear certain quotes or you hear certain people talk about art, how you're like heavily influenced by where you're at at the moment. And I definitely now, for instance, even tonight at the stand up and clown show, like I want people really feeling like a ton of work went into this show, a ton of preparation and that the line between what is being generated and created and discovered in front of them and what I have toiled over for about a week before the show goes on, that they start to be unable to tell the difference. But back to just talking about why this matters for clown is when you embrace the improv model, one, obviously it means more shows. So now more shows are going up more opportunities for clowns because now they can work on their craft on stage, work on their connection, work on their play. And probably the biggest thing is it's just more ways to give students a true performing experience without having to make long-term commitments to a production. So then the pipeline just gets stronger and the draw for audience gets stronger. And I think besides just being in a large market, which Rachel pointed out, I believe it was a major metropolitan market, you're also in this process of just continuing to grow all sides of it. You have more shows, so more audience comes and sees the show. And then you have students who watch shows and know that if they train, they can be in shows. And then they bring their friends and, you know, trying to take all the positives of like an educational institution's marketing system without falling into that monetizing art issue that, you know, everyone who opens a theater and pays rent and wants to have teachers and doesn't want to go broke, this like cycle of bringing people in, like we want to take advantage of growing a community, but then hopefully taking care of it and not making the people who, you know, buy in or come to shows or train, not making them feel like essentially people at like a gym in January where yeah, we want you to sign up. We want your money. We want your time. But ultimately, we hope you drift away. 
because if all of you stay involved, then there won't be enough time for all of us. Like we're, because we're a subculture, we're trying to delicately walk that line. So that is part one of this conversation. I'm going to come back next week and we're going to talk a little bit more about why call it clown though. I mean, why? Obviously, there's so much different about what we're doing now as compared to, I don't know, what, you know, Grimaldi was doing in the early 1800s or what you might see at, you know, Ringling Brothers or what happened with Bozo the Clown, you know, that explosion of kids' morning shows. Like, why even compete with all this noise? And I absolutely have an answer for that. But you're going to have to wait and... Let me thank you again for listening to this podcast and remind you once again, if you can, while you're listening to my voice, just hit that five-star button, which is, I guess, the fifth star. So the five-star button is the fifth star. Um, write a review, send me a question, and if you're in LA, come to this show tonight. It's going to be great. But until we speak again, my friends, this has been Chad Demiani. Keep on clowning. Clowning.